Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 20. I want to say welcome and uh, happy Mother's Day uh, to all the moms out there. We, uh, uh, I tried to um, plan a message that would be applicable to Mother's Day and, and far beyond that. Um, every time we come together, uh, we're going to be about Jesus. We do want to say thank you to moms, but we want to point you to Jesus. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Um, and as we, uh, as we do this, Acts chapter 20, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 24. As I was getting ready uh, and preparing for this Sunday, I was reminded of um, a drive we took on uh, January 30th, 2009. We were on our way to Chili's for dinner, to the glory of God. And um, we were heading there, and there's, Kelly was having some complications. She was nine months pregnant, and, um, and, and so we decided to stop by the hospital, quote-unquote, uh, just to make sure everything was all right. We figured most first-time parents make at least one trip to the hospital um, that is a false alarm. And so we thought we needed to do at least one. And so when we got there, uh, they told us that um, Ethan had the cord wrapped around his neck and that we weren't going home without a baby. So my first thought was, what about chilies? <laughs> I mean, Maybe they deliver. Can we get? I don't. I don't. Um, anyway, so um, we we had the the baby. We had Ethan, and I can just remember for the very first time holding uh, my son and thinking, "God, you are so amazingly good." Uh, and then, you know, after a few days in the hospital, we um, got in the car, and I helped Kelly get in the car. Um, and then I put Reed in his little, or Ethan, in his little car seat in the car, and you know, you have that click. And then I got into um, the car and closed my door behind me, and it was eerily silent. And there was this thought that went through my head. Is no one coming with me? Do they not know that I have no clue what I'm doing as a parent? You know that, that moment where you're driving home from the hospital and you're pushing like 10 miles an hour thinking in your head, why is everybody driving like maniacs? You know, and, and don't they, don't they know that, that I'm not qualified for this? And, and, and we weren't, you know, and God was gracious to us. And from the time we walked in the door, it was just, and it hasn't stopped in four and a half years. It was just nonstop, you know? It's amazing how somebody so small can need so much attention and so much time. Any amens? Amen. Amen. And, and it was, it's amazing to see my wife uh, uh, as a mom and just to see her do uh, amazing things. And, and for me, when I hold our kids, I need like the exact, it needs to be the right temperature outside, you know, and it needs to, the climate needs to be right. And I need to have, um, cushions on the couch to prop up my arm, you know, when I hold him, just in case my arm gets tired. But she is, she's like vacuuming and holding kids. Now that this is number three, she can feed and vacuum and cook dinner and all of the above all at once. And it's amazing. It's amazing. And it's nonstop. And it's nonstop. I I read this um, article in Forbes magazine that tried to uh, put a price on how much mothers should make. Their question was, do you think we can put a price on motherhood? Uh, a yearly survey, survey by salary.com called the annual mom salary survey attempts to put a salary on the work American mothers do. So first they broke down the monthly duties into the following 10 categories. Daycare center teacher, CEO, psychologist, cook, 
housekeeper, laundry machine operator, computer operator, facilities manager, janitor, and van driver. And they left out about 40, okay? (laughs) Then they studied how many hours moms work in each of those categories and what the family would have to pay for outsourcing that duty. And according to this 2012 survey, they determined the following. The average stay-at-home mom should make an annual salary of $112,962. Somebody look at your wife and say, I can't afford you. (laughs) And the average working mom should make an annual salary of $66,969. And I would submit to you that both of those would be a bargain. Both of them would be a bargain. Their conclusion, the breadth of mother's responsibility is beyond what most workers could experience day to day. Imagine if you had to attract and retain a candidate for this role. (laughs) It's true, isn't it? I mean, that, that one of the things that we love about mothers and one of the things that makes it so difficult is that they are constantly giving themselves away constantly and i started to think about what is it that makes a good story what is it that makes a good life one of the things i i think that makes for a a great story one of the things that makes for a good life and the people that we think have have impacted us as we think back on those people that have played um, a huge role in our development as people in our development with our character and our love for the lord the people that have made the biggest impact on us are people that have generously graciously given themselves away and so the big idea i want us to wrap our heart and our mind around this morning is this is that lasting impact is created through an invested life through an invested life and in life that we a life where we take what god has graciously given to us and we say we want to give to other people. The best stories, the people whose lives that we look at and go, if I could, if I could end up like that, if I could live similar to that, and the people that we respect in our own minds are people who've taken what God has given them and invested it into us. And here's the ironic part of it, is that God has graciously woven into our DNA that we find the most joy when we live this way. That this is, this is in many ways the, the fulfillment, the culmination of life. See, we think it's in, it's in stuff and, and in getting. But what God says is that when we give ourselves away, we find what it means to really, truly live. Listen to the way that, that Jesus says this to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, verse 25. He says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. See, the harder we try to hold on to our, our life, the harder we try to hold on to our stuff, and the, 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 the less meaningful life becomes. But when we release it, when we hold it open-handedly, he says, whoever loses his life, whoever gives his life or her life away, they'll find what it means to really, truly live. See, here's the problem, though. Here's the problem. Is that in order to invest... We need to have something to give. We need to have something to give. And that's where, that's where Jesus speaks directly to us. And he says, listen, it's a sort of cyclical pattern that, that as you come to me and give me your life, I will allow you to overflow into the lives 
around you, as you, as you give away, I'm going to fill you up. And so in a very real way, in a very real way, the gospel and God driving his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit is the first step in us saying we want to live a life that's invested in other people. We cannot invest if we have nothing to give. And by God's grace, through the gospel, he gives us more than we need so that we can overflow into the lives of those around us. If you have a Bible, let me show you the way that this plays out in the life of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And Paul is um, on a missionary journey and he's about to head back to Jerusalem. And listen to chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. They read like this. And when the uproar had ended, so, so this is typical if you've been here. This is the way Paul knows it's probably time to go to another city. He either gets beat up or there's some sort of angry mob that approaches him, right? So when the uproar has ended, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, said goodbye. And he set out from Macedonia. He traveled throughout that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people. And finally, he arrived in Greece, where he stayed for three months. Now, just hold it there for just a second. Because we're going to see the way that as Paul's filled by God and by the gospel, and as that stirs in him, he's going to have the ability to impact different lives by investing his life into them. Did you catch what he does? Verse 1, after encouraging them, he said goodbye. He traveled throughout that area speaking many words of what? Encouragement. I mean, this is, this is a snapshot of one of God's greatest gifts to the church. And what does he do? What does he do? He encourages them. He walks with them. I think if we're going to be people that invest our lives into other people, the way that we do that, one of the ways is through abundant encouragement. Abundant encouragement. See, here's what I've, here's who I've never met. I've never met anybody that goes, you know, I don't like to be around that person. They're just too darn encouraging. I've never, I've never met somebody that said that about anyone. I just can't stand to be around them. They're always encouraging me. They're always pushing me forward. They don't bring me down at all. I just can't stand to be around them. Literally, the word that we read in the Greek is a word parakaleo, and it means to call alongside. So Paul's saying to these churches as he travels in his sort of reunion tour of these churches he started, one of the things he wants to impart to them is, guys, you can keep going. Guys, follow my example. Guys, don't, don't give up. As, as hard as it may be, and the persecution is difficult, and it is not fun sometimes, his word is, I want to encourage you. Keep going. Keep going. How many of you had a, had a mom that was an encouragement to you? Man, as I think about my mom, one of the things that I, I love about her, she encouraged me. Even when, even when most people wanted to write me off. She was an encouragement to me. I, I think it's poignant what uh, the author, John Mac- Maxwell, uh, says. And he says, the average person has no people that believe in them. 
The average person has no people believe in them. And so we're, I think we're naturally drawn to people who encourage. Here's what, as I thought about that though, here's the, here's the problem with that is that in order to encourage people, I need to be for them. I cannot, I cannot judge people and encourage people. I'll do one or the other. I, I cannot compare myself to people and encourage people genuinely. Because if I'm, if I'm comparing and seeing where I am on that totem pole, I, I want you down so that I can go up. You can't, you can't encourage people who you compare yourself to. And, and, and we can't be critical and encouraging. It'll be one or the other. So let me ask you, let me ask us, are we an encouragement to one another? Do we say, come on, you can keep, you can keep going. I, I went to a, 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 a half day conference this week um, with this uh, leadership guy and he talked about the way that he started his ministry. And he said, the way that I started my ministry is I wanted to have an impact on people. And so I went to pastor's conferences and I looked for the two most discouraged, depressed pastors I could find. And evidently that was hard to determine who was the most discouraged. Um, And so he looked out and he said, you know, he said, so I picked two people at each conference I went to and I exchanged numbers with them and, and, and names. And he said, I put a note in my calendar in a month to call them and to encourage them. And then I sent them two checks. I sent them one check for their ministry, not a ton. And then I sent them, sent them another check for them personally, made out to them. And I said, take your wife out for dinner, have a date, get babysitting on me. And his ministry started to blow up. I mean, evidently, God loves people who are an encouragement to other people. Because they model what he does for you and for me. I wonder who God would have us encourage this week. I wonder who God would have us encourage. That we would invest our life in somebody else by being an encouragement to them. Listen to the way that Paul writes to this church at Thessalonica. He says, he died for us. That's Jesus. So that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live together with him. He died to unite us. He died to bring us together. Therefore, because he died to unite us, to bring us together, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Friends, this should be, this should be, slippery this morning, one of the most encouraging places you go every week. That my prayer is that we would be people on the lookout for ways to encourage one another to walk with each other, to call alongside because of what Jesus has done already for us. Listen to the way that that Paul goes on in verses 7 through 13, or 7 through 12, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible says this. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. And Paul spoke to the people And because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking till midnight. Amen. And there were many lamps in the upstairs room where where we were meeting. 
and seated in a window as a young, was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. I love it because I know I'm not alone. <laughs> See, the Apostle Paul knew what it was like and he just kept preaching and so will I. <clears throat> And when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. That is a sermon ender. (laughs) And Paul went down and he threw himself on the young man and he put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. And everybody looks at him and goes, no, he's dead. We We saw him. He's dead. Three stories. He's dead. And then he went upstairs again, broke bread, and ate. And after talking until daylight, six hours later, he left. And the people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. I love it. Paul raises him from the dead. Jesus raises him from the dead through Paul. Paul goes back up into the room that he's teaching in, says, you're going to need to get a snack because that gave me about six hours more of material. Buckle up. We're not getting out of here till morning. But the thing that stands out to me most is that Luke tells us where Paul is at in his journey. Paul's heading to Jerusalem. He's got his sort of itinerary is in his mind. And he, on the night he's supposed to leave, says, I'm willing to take time to minister to this church, to build into this church, to give you everything I got. Even though it's not convenient for my schedule, even though it doesn't fit with what I want to do, I'm willing to give myself away. And one of the ways that we make an investment with our lives into other people is through sacrificial availability. That we are available and open to people even when it's not in our calendar. And here's what, as I thought about this throughout this week, and I thought about the chances that I've had to to minister to people and to touch people the main time, the times where I've seen God move the most, I could not find it in my iPhone. I, I just couldn't. Because it was God saying, this is something I'm bringing to you. If you're available, if you're open, I will use you. But sometimes we just need to be willing, friends. Sometimes we just need to be willing to, pun intended, throw our plans out the window to just say to God, whatever you have for me, I'm willing to follow. I'm willing to be obedient to where you're leading and to where you're guiding. I, I, as many of you heard the story this last week of, of Charles Ramsey, who was just walking down the street eating his McDonald's, now famous, um, not McDonald's, but Charles Ramsey eating his McDonald's, and he walked by a house where he heard some screaming inside. And he, the, the, the voices were saying, call the police. And so he called the police, and um, three women who'd been kidnapped and, and sort of held for, I think it was 10 years, were released. And I started to wonder, how many, how many people had... How many people people heard something, but 
they just weren't engaged enough to say, I'm willing to. And then I started to think about my life. God, how many opportunities have I walked by? How many opportunities have I been too busy for? How many opportunities did you bring, God, that didn't fit into my calendar? See, if we're going to live an invested life, it's a life that says to God, you have me, all of me. What do you want to do with my life today? What do you want to do with my life today? What are you bringing? Give me eyes to see it. When was the last time you prayed at the beginning of your day, Lord, I'm available. Use me in whatever way you want. And my, as I've thought about that, what I've come to notice is that usually those opportunities come cloaked as gross interruptions to my day. And my guess is they look the same to you. I love that Paul says, I'm willing, I'm willing to teach till midnight and beyond because I love you and because I want you to know Jesus and because I want you to have everything that you need. Are we available? Are you available? I mean, moms, just man, what an encouragement that you'd be available to your kids. That's the things they're going to remember. As they leave the house someday. I mean, it's humbling for me as somebody who teaches and who loves to teach that very little of what people remember comes from what I say up here. Very little. But you better believe that it comes from whoever's sitting next to you, caring about you, being open to you and available to God using you in their life. See, see not as many people care or remember what you say as they do, they remember that you were there for them and that you walked with them. Are we available? Paul, Paul goes on, or Luke goes on to write about Paul's journey. And here's the way verses 13 through 19 read. It says, We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. Yeah, somebody said in between services, I think Paul needed some alone time. I think they're right. Paul's like, I'm going to walk. I'll meet you there. Please don't follow me. And he made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. And when he met us at Asos, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. And the next day we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. And the day after we crossed over Samos and on the following day arrived at Miletus. And Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served, circle that, underline it, star it, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. These are people he lived with for two plus years, people that he loved. And he says, I can summarize my thought process as I walked into your town from the first day I was there until the day I left. It was my goal to serve the Lord by serving you. You want to? Make an eternal impact with your life. 
invest. Invest through humble service. This is the posture of life that says, God, this, this is not about me. This is about you. This is not about what, what I can give. This is about what you've already given me, or not what I can receive, but what you've given me and what I can in turn give away. So Paul looks at this church and he says, I gave myself to you. Graciously, humbly, I ministered to you. Here's it. Moms, I, I, I know you do so much of this behind the scenes that nobody sees and that it seems like nobody cares about. And I want to encourage you today. You are, in a very real way, being the hands and feet of Jesus. They may not notice, but they notice. They may not seem like they care, but they care. And one day they'll look back and say, that's what I remember about my mom. She was a servant because she loved Jesus. I read a story this week about Mother Teresa and and a a man who was traveling, an American who was traveling through Calcutta when Mother Teresa was there. And he came upon her, and, and she was bandaging some wounds of, of a leper. And he said, can I take a picture of you? And she said to him, after a few moments of contemplation, sure. And the man bent down and, and sort of zoomed in, and he couldn't get the picture he wanted, so he scooted a little bit closer to her. And snapped a few pictures and he said to her, man, the, the, the stench is just unbelievable. And the wounds are just gross. And he said this to her. He said, I wouldn't do what you're doing for $10 million. And Mother Teresa turned to him and said, neither would I. This is not a job. This is a calling. From the Lord. Who's God called you to humbly serve? To walk with, to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus who, who said this to his disciples. Not so with you when they were talking about rising on the pedestal. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. And catch this, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, here's the deal. Here's what you learn here, is that Jesus is not encouraging us to be servants because he needs something. Hear me on that. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need you to do this. It's an invitation. It's not something he wants from you. It's something he wants for you. He says, you want to you rise to the top? Serve. Give yourself away. Find life in dying to yourself. Find life in investing your life into other people. That's the way that you drink most deeply of the goodness of this life that God has given to you. I read a quote this week that says this. If you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. Happiness for a day, go fishing. Happiness for a week, take a vacation. Happiness for a month, retire. 
Happiness for a year? Inherit a fortune. Happiness for a lifetime? Serve others. It's the pathway to joy. It's the pathway to joy. And I think Paul drinks so deeply of it that he just wanted other people to know. Uh, Here's the way that this goes on in Acts chapter 20, verses 20 through 24. Read like this. You know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house to house. Isn't that great? Paul says, when it would have been easier to hold back, I didn't. When what I told you was going to sting, I told you anyway. When I knew you wouldn't like what I said, I didn't hesitate. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Now catch this. He goes, I'm going not knowing what's coming. No idea what God's going to do. I only know, so there's something he does know, that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. I don't know what's coming, except that I'm going to probably get beat up and find myself in prison at some point. God has made that clear. But other than that, I'm not sure. I'm just trying to be faithful. And he says, however, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I might finish the race. Remind you of where we started this series. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. I consider my life worth nothing to me lest I finish the race, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace to me. I love it that that's where we're going to end this series. As Paul says, the way that I invested my life was, was not by holding back, was not by sort of filtering what I told you, but that through bold truthfulness, I declared to you everything that God wanted me to. And if we're going to be people who make an investment in the lives of other people, we need to be, we need to be people who speak truth even when it's hard to hear. On Mother's Day, as I reflect on my mom, one of the things I love that my mom was willing to do is to tell me when I was being an idiot. Many amens. Man, and I wonder, I wonder for me how much of the time Paul spoke things that people didn't want to hear, but he's saying, I want to fight for your joy. I want to fight for your joy that you might know Jesus, that you might drink deeply of him and his spirit, that you might walk with him and know the fullness of serving him and and knowing him. And and, and so I'm going to say some things that are going to sting. I'm going to tell you, as he says here, that you need to repent, that you need to change your mind and that you need to put your faith in Jesus. He said, I'm going to tell you that even when you don't want to hear it. Most of all, I think, he's has this, I, I think he has this question in his mind. Am I going to embrace short-term discomfort for long-term investment? Whenever I meet with people, I pray before I go into any meeting, God, help me love this person more than I love what they think about me. 
Because if I'm not careful, I'll tell you things you want to hear instead of what I know God is saying to you. Will you let me, Jesus, love these people more than I love what they think about me? Paul says this. I love that he lands on this. I consider my life worth nothing unless I finish the race that you've given me, God, the task of testifying to his grace and to his mercy and to his goodness. Man, now you have to have something in the bank if you're going to give that away. You've got you've to know his goodness. You've got to know his grace. You've got to know his mercy. You've got to know, like Paul knew, that I was dead in my transgression and sin. And Jesus, you rescued me, that I was hopeless and you brought hope, that I was a mess, that I was a wreck, and that you rescued based nothing in and of me, but based solely in you, Jesus. So he says, that's what I want to give. That's the investment that I want to make. It's not what I've done and the great stories that I have, but God, that you have been good to me in spite of me. That you have blessed me when I didn't deserve it. That you awakened me to life when I was dead in sin. And hey, 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 everybody in the room look up at me, especially moms. Look at me for just a second. The best thing you can do for your kids is to soak in the goodness of the gospel. To know the grace of Jesus over you. To know that he calls you his children and that he loves you and that he sees when nobody else does the best thing that you can do is know his grace and testify to it to your kids to your neighbors to whoever lord may we be the type of people who do that who know you in a way that overflows to the people around us Yesterday, I had the chance to go and um, uh, to see my mom in the hospital. She had a brain biopsy on Friday. And, and she wasn't all that coherent. She was, you know, recovering. And so I just sat there. I didn't talk to her a whole lot. We just sat there. And I thought, you know what, God? What do I, what do I love about my mom? My mom wasn't smartest person I ever knew. My mom didn't quote-unquote teach me as much as some other people did. But my mom gave herself away for us. I mean, she loved us so well. She was an encouragement. She was, she was available. She was a servant. She was willing to tell me when I was an idiot. And in doing so, here, here's the deal. In doing so, she was a picture of Jesus for me. She was a picture of Jesus. She was a, a picture of this God that says, I'm going to give myself as an investment in your life. I'm going to leave heaven and leave glory in order to pursue you. She was a picture of that for me. She was a picture of the way that God walks with us and encourages us and says, don't give up, keep going. Even when it's dark and even when it's hard. She was a picture of the way that our God humbly served us. He didn't come to serve, to be served, but to serve. She was a picture of a God who says, I want to speak both truth 
and grace over your life because you need both. You need both. Uh, Friends, may we be encouraged this morning, moms especially. Would you be encouraged this morning that the way that you live, the grace that you soak in would change you in such a way, would make you and would mold you that you just overflow into the lives of whoever God brings into your life. And as you invest your life in other people, know this. You may not see the, you may not see the yield, you may not see the fruit right away, but someday you will and it will be worth it. Keep pushing on, keep going. God is good. His grace is sufficient. And he's enough. Will you pray with me today?